Is there anything at stake when we are um, challenged or tried or tested with regards to our faith? Is there anything at stake? Is it something we can just look? You know what? Let's just... The stakes are not that high. Let's just leave this and put it to one side and move on. After all, there's more to life than this when it concerns our relationship with God. Um, we will examine this even as we go into um, today's reading in Luke chapter 4, and verses 1 to 13. And um, as we begin, let me just open us up with a word of prayer again, and then we'll have a look at the text, and then we go into it and just walk through. Um, Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that even our Lord Jesus would go through the battle, indeed, battle of, a, of all time that our souls may be saved, that he may bring about salvation for us, that he may save us from the power, from the presence, from the penalty, and the pleasure of sin. We thank you for all of these things that you have gone to this extent even to make sure it is available for us and for all who love you. Again, we thank you. Lead us even as we go into your word this um, morning and indeed light, enlighten our hearts so that we see what is at stake indeed when we get tested, when our faith is challenged, when we are called or questioned or even proven to see the worth and the value even of this relationship that we have with you, trusting in you, kept by your power through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all this, even as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to just quickly read through um, the text, a section of, of the passage we're looking at today. And it's, Luke, it's from Luke chapter 4. Reading from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. And I'm reading from the New American Standard uh, Version. Now, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the spirits in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he was hungry. And the, devil had, and the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answering, answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, um, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain 
and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I want. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Jesus replied to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he brought him into Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will lift you up, so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been stated, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Lord bless the reading of his word. Let me ask you guys to just go back to the very first slide again, to the second slide. Um, and as we come to the start of this um, Jesus public ministry, I mean, we saw, him, saw Jesus last week being baptized by John the Baptist. And we now read an account here that Luke must have received uh, and must have been relayed by Jesus to his disciples. As we start this chapter, I mean, reading this, the very first, the very first verse, we read of Jesus being led, uh, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, led around by the spirits in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. I mean, just instinctively, got response, got reaction. Reading this, you might be bothered as in, listen, I don't need no wahala in my life, no drama. Just like um, Stevie Valentine sings, I need you closer, Lord. You know, that's what I need. I don't need this. But he's been led to be tempted, full of the Spirit. I mean, why would you be going to the wilderness where it's not safe or even habitable? But, and he's led there, being tempted by the devil. Thinking about this, I mean, it's... it's as we look at that term, as we look at that word there, tempted, our own knowledge and understanding of temptation can trip us up here at this point. So let's have a look at a couple of things to help us understand what Luke is talking about in this account. Straight up, first is how this term is used in the Bible, tempted. In the Bible, there's two main uses of the word. The first is, you know, trying whether a thing can be done, you know. Can we walk from Lewisham to Buckingham Palace? You know, we're, we're, we're testing ourselves in that sense. It's possible, it can be done, but can we do it? So one is set there, from Lewisham to Buckingham Palace. I mean, you will see, um, I live in... Southeast London in, in Thamesmead, and sometimes I see the, the, the soldiers at the um, Royal Artillery Barracks on their drills with 
I don't know what, what, how, how many kilos in weights they're carrying on their backs, on their front, their belts, and with rifles, all running. And you see some of them just falling behind. I mean, they're being tempted in that sense, tried and tested whether they'll have the stamina for battle, for real combat, because they probably have to carry such load and go through it. But another use of tempted is to make a trial or test of something or someone. Um, and the purpose of the trial here is to make sure of its quality, what a person thinks or how he will behave. This can be both in a good sense, like making sure it's adidas, not adibas, before you pay for it and put it in your bags, and you know, they, you know, tell you a no returns policy. That 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 might have flown right over the heads of some of you, <laughs> but you had imitation goods. You know, you're buying an adibas instead of an adidas. You look for the signs and everything on it to make sure it actually does what it says on the tin. Or in a bad sense, testing something to make sure of its quality. Like, and um, David gave Saul opportunity, or rather David and Jonathan, Saul's son, gave Saul opportunity to betray his feelings, how he felt about David to Jonathan. All Jonathan had to do was, when he got in the presence of his father, mention David's name, oh, this is why David can't come, and then speak good of David in the presence of his father, and the next thing his father is flinging, in fact, hurling a javelin, a spear at him. So in that sense, they tested or tempted Saul to see what his mind was, what his attitude was toward David. Or trying to test, that's another sense, trying to test one's faith, virtue, or character by attracting you to sin, by luring you with, ple with pleasure or some advantage. In that sense, um, this is what we see or what we speak of when you're talking about the temptation of the devil, luring for some pleasure or advantage, to violate or break the will of God. So in which of these senses do you suppose Jesus, being Jesus was being tempted in this passage? And who was doing the tempting? Um, the idea of the devil, um, the idea of the devil as well, and what the devil does is another one for us to look at here because he's mentioned in this text. Let's look up the devil as we look at the first of the three of the three temptations in the text. So this character or this this person or this force is a traducer. New word to me, <laughs> but is someone who is a false accuser. I'm not sure why you took my Oreos this morning, Kian, but you did. You definitely did. And 
I'm really putting it on blast right here for everybody to know. You understand? <laughs> no. But then, that's the sort of thing the devil gets up to. A false accuser. None of that I just said was true. But he makes out like it is and accuses falsely. That's what the devil does. That's his nature. He's a slanderer. This is someone who speaks maliciously. That is, with a desire to inflict injury or harm or suffering on another person. That's his intention. Either because of hostile impulse or because of deep-seated meanness. You know? Just like the deep, just like the, the, the malice between rival gangs. They just, no reason, I don't care, you're from this part of town, I'm coming after you. I don't care whether you belong or not. Because you're from there, our deep-seated hatred is so much, kind of thing the devil up, gets up to. And again, I mean, I'm taking the pains to go through this so that we understand and see the distinctions and the possible tempting, the kind of tempting that's going on here. So that he also commits a wrongful act that's in that causes injury to others. He slanders, that is defaming others. Their false and unjustified injuries of the good reputation of another person. Uh, this is the sort of thing that um, the devil gets up to. And it's intentionally harmful and even more. You know, when we hear that there's a character or a person or who gets up to this kind of behavior and does it meaning to do so, meaning to hurt, meaning to cause harm, meaning to defame. I mean, we can sit around and ask, why? But that's not going to stop because that's the nature and the intent of the devil, period. You know, if I ask the dogs bite, hello, they do. <laughs> do you know, the scorpions sting, they do. It's just his nature, all right? And that's the way he is. So we see that the devil does these things. And um, if we, we can now, we, let's, let's, with this, with these, understandings in mind of the different kinds of tempting or testing or trial and the nature of the devil. Let's go on to see the first of these three temptations. Um, my aim is to show that in this first temptation, the devil's testing Jesus' reliance on God, on God's word for his provision. What's at stake here? The first question uh, the first test questions Jesus' relationship and his dependence on God for his provision. You see, the devil says what God says about Jesus, but with some kind of a little, little addition to it. 
since you're the son of God, if you are the son of God, you can render that since you're the son of God, because Satan knows who Jesus is, he's employing this to get Jesus to abuse divine power in a way that meets his personal needs. Tell this stone to become bread, because you're the son of God. He tries to entice the son to provide for himself and not to depend on God. I mean, we saw at the end of um, the last of chapter 3, Jesus baptized, coming out of the Jordan River, and this is the continuation of that, that God affirms his relationship with Jesus. I mean, there's no question about that because the Holy Spirit descended on him John chapter 3 and verse 21 and 22. He had just come from being baptized and two things took place. The Holy Spirit descended on him and a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son and you are well pleased. So in nudging him on, since you're the son of God, turn this stone into bread because he was hungry, hungry after 40 days of being led about by the Spirit of God fasting, and, not, and having not eaten anything, he was hungry. Well, what to do? Is there another sense of tempting going on here? Satan is tempting Jesus to use, abuse his power as son of God for personal gain. But is there another sense of tempting going on here? Well, in a good sense, Jesus has been proven under the leading of the Spirit of God. And in response to the tempting or in response to the Satan's nudge to abuse his power, abuse his person as the Son of God, he refers to um, Old Testament scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verses 2 and 3. Just referring to that, and if you can read along with me, he says to, he says to, he refers to an Old Testament scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And just reading that, he says, it reads, and you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness. This was Moses addressing the children of Israel just before he is leaving them, just before he's he dies, they've gone through the wilderness, and this is a new generation being addressed and reminded. Remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. As it turns out, Jesus is also in the wilderness, a desolate place, seemingly all by himself, but not alone at the same time, in order to humble you putting you to the test. There's our word again. To know what was in your heart. What's God looking for amongst those people that Moses was addressing? To know what was in their heart, whether they would keep God's commandments or not. And how did God humble them? He humbled them by letting them go hungry. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3 a multitude of people 
At one point, they did account for those, of those who left Egypt over half a million. And then they'd been wandering 40 years. Just imagine how many more they would have been. And he humbled them to let them go hungry. And he fed them with manna throughout the time they were in the wilderness, which they didn't know, nor their fathers, nor did their fathers know, to make them understand. And this is what Jesus replies to the devil. To make them understand that man shall not live by bread alone, live on bread alone, quoting out instinctively King Jimmy. <laughs> but shall not live on bread alone, but man shall live on everything that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. So, two kinds of testing going on here. On the one hand, although the devil meant for Jesus to break his relationship and his dependence on God in what seemed like a desolate and barren place, Jesus also proves his relationship with God and his dependence on God, on God's faithful provision where he responds that man uh, shall live on everything that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. So let's move on to the, next, the second temptation. Um, and there, verses 5 to 8, we see that the devil led Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I want. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. I mean, in the first temptation, he tested Jesus' reliance on God's word for his provision. In this second temptation, or in this second testing, he's inducing Jesus or luring Jesus hmm, to test what worship, what value, what worth he places on God's name for the salvation of the world. How, how, do, we, how do I come to that? Well, we've described this series as Jesus, humanity's only hope. Earlier in Luke's gospel, uh, in chapter 2 and verses, in chapter 2, we, we, we read about Simeon and Anna, both of whom were led by the Spirit of God and waiting to see God's salvation. They refer to Jesus as the one who embodies and brings salvation to Jerusalem and to the Gentiles. At the same time, we also read in, in, the rest, in other passages of Scripture, Jesus acknowledging Satan as the ruler of this world on several occasions. There is a real sense in which this is true, that Satan is the ruler of this world. 
Does this mean that the devil has unlimited authority? Well, some examples. In John 12, in John chapter 12, the gospel according to John, and chapter 12, uh, verse 31, Jesus is cited as saying this, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. John chapter 12 and verse 31. At this time, where Jesus is saying this, he's praying concerning his imminent arrest and his death at the hands of Israel's spiritual elite, or Jerusalem's spiritual elite in particular, and the ruling Romans. He was going to be arrested. He anticipated this. He knew the hour was closed and near, and he was really troubled in his spirit about this. And hence this talk about the prince of this world shall be cast out. Um, Later on in John as well, talking to his disciples, he says, just as Judas Iscariot is about to lead a troop of temple guards to arrest him, according to the plans of the devil, Jesus says to them, hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world is coming, and he has nothing on me. So with Jesus coming to the hour of his arrest, he acknowledges that what's going on right then, what's going on at that time, is the working of the devil. And it's in gear to see that, one, Jesus was betrayed, two, Jesus was arrested, Jesus was crucified, and put to death. I mean, sometimes you stop and think about it. I don't know if, you, if this has ever occurred to you as well, that you stop and think, if you're a believer, if you're one who believes in the news of Jesus Christ coming to this world to lay down his life, to take away sin, you'd wonder and think, well, everyone should really appreciate this and, and agree with this if, it makes, if, if God has made it clear to you. But alas, there are those not only who do not agree with this, but also who militantly oppose anything, any mention, any declaration of the name of Jesus Christ in anywhere. In fact, so militant to the point of, listen, that's all right. If that works for you, that's fine. In fact, what I'd love for you to do is please keep it out of the workplace, keep it out of the public square, keep it in your room. In fact, keep it behind your doors. That's where it's good for don't bring it here. How do you explain that? If it isn't, again, the working and the appearance of the uh, prince of this world at work, this is indeed a sense in which this is real and true. So that even we will face this kind of temptation in our day of... um, 
the, 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 the tempter in the manner that Jesus faces these same temptations. So, what was the temptation here? Well, I will give you all this domain. This wasn't a truce with Jesus. This wasn't Satan coming to say, look, I've got all these people. I'll just give them to you. I'll give you all this domain and all this glory. It's been handed to me. But this was to get Jesus to give up on his mission to give his life as a ransom for many. And so even win those who would trust in God through him. How do I know that? Because of the next thing the, the, the next thing the devil asks for. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Just imagine for a second Jesus respecting, giving reverence to the devil. What Satan wanted was like the word describes worship. Stick his hand out, come, kiss the ring, you know, like you see in them movies where the mafia bosses and those who control different parts of the city come to the big don and kiss the ring, acknowledging that, yeah, we're all loyal to you. Or those who have pets will be more familiar with this. You can relate to your pet. Come lick your hand, the hand that feeds it. To serve. This is what Satan wanted, for Jesus to serve, to worship, to respect, to revere. In the hope of receiving the domain and the glory that the Satan thinks he has. But on the other hand, proving that Jesus was the real deal, Jesus replies to him, it is written, you shall serve, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In this response, Jesus points out whose place the devil cannot take. This was not power that Satan really had. This, I mean, the reality, though, is that spiritual forces of darkness, God allowing them, exercise hostile authority of the world in a state of spiritual darkness and rebellion against God. So that where you hear and see of the kind of things I described earlier on, people opposed to God, vehemently opposed to God, people openly challenging God, even calling, daring, and clenching the fist and raise it up, if, if you raise up anything they like to God. It's basically just God allowing and letting that be for the time being. God is still in control. There is nothing to suggest that Satan or the devil and God are equals and opposites, amassing weapons, amassing forces in everlasting battle against each other. There is nothing to suggest that that is the case. It is rather, and you see this 
evident in Scripture that um, uh, it's just God allowing hostile authority, allowing spiritual forces of darkness to exercise hostile authority of the world um, in a state of spiritual darkness in rebellion against God for the time being. For the time being. So rather than yield to Satan, Jesus bowed himself to God and got confirmation that God has glorified his name and God will glorify his name again even in the time of his anxiety and worry about death on the cross. So look at us. Just look through this room and think about it for a moment. This just occurred to me. We would most certainly be living or have even died, some of us, had we stayed in rebellion against God the way we lived before we came to know Christ. It is indeed a comforting place to be, yielding in worship and submission to God. Um, Excuse me. Now, just quickly moving on to the third test in this series, we see from the, in verses nine and nine to eleven, the test is there, clear. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. In this case, Satan tempts Jesus to take a plunge off the edge of a 450-foot-high roof of the temple. I mean, this wasn't a base jump. No quick deploying parachutes, you know. And guess what? He quotes Scripture. Because so far, Jesus has been quoting Scripture and... um, Citing the word of God to the devil. It seems this is what, it seems this works. And Satan takes a pop at it as well. He cites Psalm 91 and verses 11 and 12. Throw yourself down from here. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. I mean, nudging Jesus to basically take it literally, presume on God's intervention for a soft landing. But Jesus replies, again with the word of God, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempt, and you shall not tempt the Lord your God um, nor put the Lord your God to the test. He's actually citing something which, uh, again, is from the times of Israel in the wilderness. A particular time where the children of Israel found themselves in a really dry, barren place with no water at Massa. And they thirsted for water scolded Moses, demanding, give us water to drink. They were ready to stone Moses and questioned him, saying, is God among us or what? 
Did God bring us and our children and our cattle and our livestock here to die of thirst? You can read of that in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. They refused to trust that God would provide water. A whole multitude of people moved and led by God to where they were, finding themselves without water. This is interesting. In all of these temptations, Jesus is still led by the Spirit. That's the thing that um, can be a bit confusing if we just looked at it and didn't get that well. There's tempting there by the devil, but there's also tempting or testing or proving. He's up to it. He's up to the task. He's up to the calling. He's up to the mission by God. And there, as they murmured, coming back to the point about not testing God that Jesus is referring to, they murmured against God. And the place where that took, um, where this took place was called, if you translated the names of the, the meanings of the names of the place, Massa and Meribah, was called testing and contention because the people tested the Lord. They put the Lord to the test, presumed, forced their, forced their demand, forced their request on God, and they murmured against him. Quick question. I don't know if you come across people who sometimes would presume on God. I want something, you know. I believe I should have this. I mean, everybody's driving a new car right now. Or I hear there's a new iPhone going to come out in a few days. I know I've just got one last couple of months, but I need the new one. And somehow I've got to make it happen that I get the new one, even though I have this new one already that's not so old. And we go act presumptuously and push our way into getting that, even though we know it's not, it's not necessary that we have that. It's lawful. Not, nothing says you can't get it. But is it expedient? Is it the right thing to do? Is it needful? What if God answers every one of our cries? Whether stuff we need or don't need, or we just ask for it out of Mm, yeah, I might as well, since I can. I mean, pray about everything. So that's what I'm doing. I'm praying. But if he doesn't answer, I'll go ahead and push my way through anyway. It's a good place to note that... Um, it's a good place to note that in presuming on God we can find ourselves in places where we didn't really intend to get to. But it's worth noting at this point that um, having gone through these and the Lord rebuffing and pushing back on the evil one with, his, with God's word, it's a good place to note as the next verse tells us in verse 13 that the battle was not over. He went away, just left him be for an opportune time. 
So where can we get tested? We can get tested when it comes to our reliance on God's word for our provision. We can get tested with regard to what worth or value or worship we place, we give to God for our salvation. We can also get tested in terms of how much we trust God, God's character in the absence of, his, of any signs or his provision. Let's just, let me just run through a few um, real-life applications or things that we can take away. Really, the devil will question and challenge or even disrupt our relationship with God and want to disrupt our dependence on God, cause us to not depend on God. Give you some vivid, concrete examples. We might decide, let's get together and pray. And right there and then, just as we begin to pray, the voices come. Does, does God hear you when you pray? Did you not just have a, <laughs> some ungodly thought there while you prayed? Will God listen to you really? Doesn't God dwell in unapproachable light and have no fellowship with the kind of things that we think about? Let's be sensitive to realize and recognize that God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. We didn't attain to be children of God by our own righteousness or by anything that we did ourselves. It's God who caused us, who brought us into relationship with himself. And guess what? It is also God who reserves an inheritance. He calls us to uh, obtain an inheritance which is not perishable, which is not corrupted, which won't fade away, which is reserved in heaven for us. Let's remember as well that we are protected by God through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, this is something that uh, we can read about and find so much more about in First Peter, um, the first letter of Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. It's God who does all of these things through faith in him. Not anything that we've done, not how well we measure up, but by faith. A real-life example of, the second, of how the second test, just sharing a report by Christian Concern to encourage you around the temptation to worship and serve the ruler of this world instead of God. We can be pressured. Society can pressure us and try to get us into its own mold. But just listen to this. You might have heard this story in the news. I'm just going to read it verbatim. 
it's, it's talked about Christian women. Um, I believe it was Lewisham Council. I believe it was. Who won her unfair, dismiss, unfair dismissal case? That was Lewisham Council. Croyd? No. <laughs> won her unfair dismissal case after being fired for expressing her views on marriage in her electoral manifesto as a mayoral candidate in Lewisham. Right here, where we are. Maureen Martin was fired by this um, housing association following three complaints of hate speech after her leaflet was distributed to 205,000 registered voters. The lawsuit for unfair dismissal, discrimination and harassment has now been settled out of court in her favor. In her manifesto, she promised to cut through political correctness and state the truth that natural marriage between a man and a woman is a fundamental building block for a successful society and the safest environment for raising children. But then she was summoned to an investigation meeting by the Housing Association after critics posted the leaflet on Twitter. Cancel culture. She was told that her tweets and her manifesto were homophobic and had potentially brought the company into disrepute. She was later dismissed for gross misconduct after 13 years of service because her beliefs were perceived to be discriminatory, hurtful, and offensive. But then, of course, she wasn't deterred. Um, but she was frustrated that Christians in the UK are being discriminated against for their religious beliefs. And here, she hopes that the success of her case will encourage other Christians in the public sphere to, peak, to speak out against religious discrimination. It does highlight the fact that you have to challenge these views. You have to challenge the judgment. You have to challenge what has happened to you. You can't just walk away. We will be tempted. We will face trials. Jesus says, in this world, you will face many tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And I said, I asked the question earlier on, what if God grants every one of our requests? I've taken this application from the Bible. My, um, you will find the account in Judges chapter 15 and 16. It was about this guy called Samson. You've probably heard of him. Samson and Delilah. One pushy, pushy servant of God. I don't say pushy to diss him, but pushy in the sense that he wanted what Samson got, what Samson wanted. Thing is, God was looking for an occasion against the Philistines. And the story of his life in Judges 15 and 16 will show that while Samson got what he wanted with men, basically, Samson wanted 
uh, went, he, 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 was, he, he, got, I mean, he got to an age where he wanted to get married, and he thought, okay, wow, I like that Philistine woman. Dad, mom, I want that woman for a wife. And they were like, son, <laughs> I mean, surely there's, there's plenty of women among the, the, the Jews for you to consider as a wife. Samson's like, this is me exaggerating. Did you not hear me? <laughs> I want the Philistine woman for a wife. Son, but okay, you stay there. But then he went, got the wife, got into a whole heap of trouble with the Philistines. They ended up murdering his wife, murdering her father. Samson went on a rampage. That, as if that wasn't enough, another went to another. And the interesting thing about Samson is this guy was empowered and enabled by the Spirit of God. And God was seeking an occasion against these, these people who were troublesome to Israel, to the Jews. Well, nice cocktail. A gifted or enabled guy filled with the Spirit of God and a pushy guy. Perfect cocktail for the perfect honey trap. And Samson got trapped. Um, and lost his life in the process, he got what he wanted. At the same time, God got what he wanted. He got his women, but he lost his sight, lost his life in the process, but God got his victory against the Philistines. Do we always want to presume on God and get everything we want? So we see here, there is a dual dynamic to temptation or to testing. The devil will test us, push us to work against the will of God. God will put us in situations to try us, to prove that his salvation, his grace upon our lives will accomplish his purpose, that we will be for his glory, that we will um, receive the salvation that God has planned and purposed for us, that we will, um, that our faith, which is more precious than gold, will be unto honor, unto glory, unto praise at Christ's appearing. Let's be sure of one thing. God is in control right now. Jesus is alive. Jesus is resurrected, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All that remains. Just like, what can I liken it to? The coronation. People were waiting, lined the streets, waiting to catch a glimpse of the king and the queen in the golden state chariot and to see them appear and just want to catch a glimpse of the event. I was there. Jesus is already seated by the right hand of God's throne. 
Time has passed. Some of us may have been Christians for a good minute now and heard this again and again and again. Yeah, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God just waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. But just like, we wait, just like those who went out for the coronation, waiting to see the king come, all that remains is for the appearing, the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus, the, ex, the exalted, triumphant Jesus for all to see. Will our faith, our trust, our confidence, even when it is tested now by various trials, will it get the Lord's, yes, well done, good to see you. I know, I saw that. I know when you were tried and tested. Will it get his commendation? Will it get his praise? Will it get us indeed glorified in his presence? Are we waiting, rejoicing to see him, even though we are facing trials right now? In the Lord, encourage and give us strength indeed to withstand and work through all of these in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you encourage us even seeing that the Lord himself, <laughs> though the Lord of all, the one without whom nothing that is created was created, he himself tested, tempted, tried, proven by the evil one, by the devil. Wow, he overcame for our sakes. We are grateful, Lord. And we pray, Father, that even as you lead us by your Spirit, Lord, we'll know, one, that we're not alone. Even if we feel like we're in a barren and empty place and all by ourselves, standing one against a multitude, help us to know, Lord, that one with the Lord is our majority. Lord, we pray as well that even in the time of testing, your word will come to us by your spirit, that we will endure and have your word to speak in the time and the hour of testing. Lord, whatever, the, whatever it be that come against us, Father, and whatever the forces there are that you even allow in this time, Father, we pray, rather than trip us up, they will build us up. Father, again, I pray for any who's dealing with diverse trials, diverse temptations right now. Lord, indeed, let this, your word, go out to be an encouragement. Again, we thank you, knowing that all of this is not in vain because we await the return and the appearing of our triumphant, and exalted King and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for all of this, even as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.